the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. We are studying in the book of Mark. We're in chapter 15 today, and notice how it opens immediately. It, um, the word immediately, or something similar to that, according to the version you use, is used 42 times in the book of, of Mark. And here, I've looked and looked. I think this is basically the last time. But again, why would that be? That's one of the reasons Mark's gospel is shorter than the other three. He covers it, and he covers it adequately, but he, he doesn't add a lot of the things that the others have in it, some but not all. But we're going to look at chapter 15 today, and it's Pilate uh, trying Jesus, and honestly, it's right reversed. Jesus is really trying Pilate. He's the one that's on mm. trial. Alex, when we've covered chapter 14, 72 verses, quite a long uh, chapter that is organized there about Peter and and uh, Judas's carrot, and then the arrest and all of the things that go with it, and then the Sanhedrin arresting Jesus, having the trials that were illegal. But now in the morning, the chief priest, they get together, and they're ready to proceed uh, even though they had false witnesses, they couldn't find any agreement. I'm trying to set this up. But when Jesus admitted, I am God, the high priest, we've got the goods, let's crucify him. And so, listen, when Jesus told the truth, they couldn't take it, could they? They really couldn't. And you, you'll see the word straightway. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 15, I mean, right after this, you know, you're right. They had what they wanted. Jesus was claiming to be deity, God incarnate. They said, we don't need any further charges. You've heard his blasphemy. Now, Mark 15, straightway in the morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders, scribes, and the whole council. In other words, they've got everybody on their team they can find. And they bound Jesus, carried him away, and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered and said, Thou sayest it. Now, the word there, it wasn't he was like, You say it only, but he was in the most emphatic terms possible. It's like, You've got that right. You've said correctly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. In the New King James, it says, It is as you say. It, it is, is as, as you, you say. say. Yes. And so Jesus, he doesn't take, he does not say a lot. But when you see those red letters in this, these encounters, they really, anytime Jesus spoke, it was weighty. But here in this significant hour, uh, I, I would say the weightness of it is so uh, real, Alex. And it is, as you say, yes. That's right. And the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Pilate asked again, verse 4, uh, Answerest thou nothing? Behold, how many things they witness against thee. I mean, you get the impression that just it's, it, this is overkill. They're overselling their case. And Pilate says, you know, goodness gracious, how many accusations. Yet Jesus answered nothing so that Pilate marveled. Now, at that feast, he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude, crying aloud, began to desire him to do as he had ever done. In other words, there's always this custom of releasing a prisoner, and we hope you'll do that again this time, too. And Pilate, and again, uh, we don't have any indication that he knew the Lord or loved the Lord, but Pilate had discernment, and he answered and said, Will you that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered Jesus out of envy. Um, Pilate wasn't stupid, was he? He was not. Now, again, he, he could discern, but no courage. Uh, you know, right, being right. being right and courageous, being right but not courageous, you come short. Being wrong and being courageous is missing it. 
But what you want to do is be right with God, be right with truth, and be courageous. doesn't mean flipping. It doesn't mean angry, but it means taking a stand. Paul would say that many, many times in his writing, having done all, stand. Now, Alex, one real quick. Go back to verse 7. Would you look at that? Notice his felt, and, and this is the New King James, in his fellow insurrectionists, they had committed under the insurrection. Now, here it is. We don't know everything about this event, but it was an event when the, they were trying to overthrow the, the authorities, okay? Barabbas and his other compadres were trying to overthrow the, the government, the Roman, the were in power. I, I thought of this. See what you think about it. Uh, that's what they wanted Jesus to do. They wanted him to join in and overthrow the powers that was holding the Jewish people under the control of the Roman uh, Empire. You catch, I, I, I had exactly. not really thought of that a lot, but I started majoring on that. I did some research to try to find out if there was a particular insurrection, but it was the one that was, you know, the I would say the one that had been in the uh, past, the nearest past, they had had several yes. insurrections, but this is the one that was the last one. Barabbas was there. Others were there. And so he takes the most villainous uh, uh, insurrectionist and, and puts him out there. Which one do you want? Pilate was doing maneuvering, trying to get to get trying to get Jesus released. Exactly, that's right. I, I I think Pilate had no idea that they would pick Barabbas. I mean, here you've got the worst guy in the jailhouse versus this man that has healed the sick and shown love and grace. Pilate knew the chief priest delivered him out of envy. So, you know, if Pilate were a betting man, he was certain. I'm sure that they would say. You know, well, release Jesus, because, you know, here's a murderer insurrectionist. Pilate answered and said, you know, what will you then that I shall do unto him whom you call king of the Jews? They cried out, crucify him. And Pilate, almost in desperation, verse 14 says, why? What evil has he done? And they cried out all the more exceedingly, crucify him. So Pilate, willing to content the people, released, and the word really means to placate. The people released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus, whom he had, when he had scourged him to be crucified. If ever there was an act of injustice in all of history, it's Mark fifteen fifteen. Mm, well said. A yep. murderer yep. goes free, while the Son of God goes to execution. Isn't that a picture of us? I mean, he took yeah. Barabbas's place on honesty. He took our place. Uh, if we can, we compare ourselves more with Barabbas than we do with Jesus at that point in time. Go back, if you would, in verse 11. I know I'm the one working backward, but notice what this— It's usually me doing that. <laughs> well, uh, let me do it this uh, today. But, Alex, we find out the Sunday before this, it was Palm Sunday, and they were saying, Hosanna, you know, and now here's a, a crowd— now, I, I honestly believe it's some of the same people, but if you had to put a different—I believe it's a different crowd. But notice what it says. The chief priest stirred up the crowd. Now, that's what they—they they were working the crowd. They had yeah. their agents, some that were there before Pilate, but they had also got those out there in the crowd to stir them up and to mock it. You can imagine— they they got them posted at specific places so they could control the areas around them, and they've got their signal. Just at the right time, we give the same words. This this is orchestrated. This is not spontaneous. This is orchestrated by the chief priest, ultimately by Satan himself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the plants, just like the the riots during the, the quarantines, I mean— yeah. All across America, during all of the, the BLM riots, there were people smuggled in and planted. I mean, it's nothing new. Trying to turn a culture upside down, it's, it's nothing new. But Pilate does what the people demand. Verse 16, the soldiers led Jesus away to the praetorium, this hall, and they called together the whole band. 
And they clothed him with purple, plaited a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. This is mockery. I mean, they, they are mocking, making fun. And they hit him on the head with a reed. And Bert, I, I'm sure you've seen what we assume that crown of thorns was like. I've seen some thorns in the Holy Land that are long, oh, sharp as a razor. Imagine that's on your head and you get hit in the head with a with a stick. It it cuts the scalp. There's blood. I mean, we're not even near the crucifixion yet, and already the Son of God is being subjected to just unspeakable pain and violence, isn't he? He is. Now, Alex, when I read verse 19, I, I've i never been hit over the head with a, a thorn, you know, and put yeah. in the head, whatever, but spat on him. I I just want to, they did it here. They do it on at the cross. They spit upon him. Uh, that's only happened basically one time I was playing basketball. And uh, I, I could play defense better than I could play offense, to be honest. And I could just about guard anyone. And there's this hmm. guy who had the ball, and I got in front of him, and he was called for charging. And I have to admit, I was laying on the floor, flat on my back, thinking to myself, man, I did it. And a big old smile, smirky smile came on my face. And this mm. was the guy's fifth foul, so he was going to go out of the game. He was out. Yeah, so he didn't like my smile, so he spat on me. Well, Oh, my word. Yeah, so I got up. I, I have to admit, I got a technical foul. I, I didn't do what Jesus did. I, I did not turn the other cheek. I But listen, being sped upon... I know you can be hit on the head. I know all the things that go with the pain, but the derogatoriness of being spit upon is that I know everything. Everybody looks at, man, look at all those descriptions. That one always just say, man, how in the world did he not open his mouth? Why, how in the world could Jesus say, I've had enough? He really did love us to be able to go through all that, Alex. That's what I was oh, getting to. Bird, I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, yeah, that is so demoralizing, so disrespectful just to denigrate the Lord like this. And I want to tell you, every now and then, Bert, do you ever read the comments under news stories? Every once in a while. I don't like it, so I don't read them too much. But every once in a while, every time I do, I say, I ain't going to do it again. It's derogatory you, most of the time, a, isn't it? A lost world is still spitting on Jesus. They are. But folks, we're going to come back. We'll continue in Mark chapter 15, plus your calls and your Bible questions on this edition of Exploring the Word on the American Family Radio Network. Stay with us. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Ventress Gibson, Director of the United States Mint. Her office oversees the production of coinage and the movement of bullion. 1 Peter 4.10 reminds us of the importance of being a good steward. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Ventress Gibson as she leads the U.S. Mint. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans has a hygiene tip that'll not only help you stay healthy physically, but spiritually, especially if these strange new days have you stressed out. He'll tell us about it today as we spend two minutes with Tony. You know, we've got this exercise where we're supposed to wash our hands 20 seconds and do it many times during the day. Let me give you a little secret. Use hand washing as prayer time. Just put the soap on your hands. You're washing them. Have a conversation. Hey, Daddy, you told me not to worry. You told me not to worry about the virus. In fact, you told me to be anxious for nothing, you said. So right now, I'm not going to worry. I, I know this is a problem out of control, but you're not out of control, and you're my daddy. So as I wash my hands, when you send your kids to wash their hands, teach them to pray. See, this is a great time because uh, Philippians 4 says, when you are tempted to be anxious, that's an invitation to pray. So you always know you're supposed to pray 
because it always should be connected when you're tempted to be a warrior. And if you are going to wash your hands all day long, talk to your daddy all day long and get your focus on God who is able to calm your fears. Don't misunderstand me. Corona, you ought to be concerned about. We ought to follow the directions that we're given by our government and by our leaders, but be, still be able to sleep at night, still be able to laugh, still be able to love your loved ones. You don't live in panic when you know you have a heavenly father. The problem is we have a world today that has forgotten that God wants to be their daddy. World events only make sense when you see them through the lens of God's kingdom agenda. For more help doing that, request Tony's CD series, Clarity in a Crisis, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. honored that you're listening. We're in Mark chapter 15. Uh, I want to give the number, uh, toll-free number. If you've got a Bible question, we would be very honored to hear from you today, and we'll open up the phones in a few moments, but the number is 888-589-8840. 888, that's 888-589-8840. We'd love to have your Bible question here in a moment or two. But Bert, you know, in the Gospel of Mark, back in Mark chapter 12, there was a parable of a vineyard owner, and the workers resented the vineyard owner, so the vineyard owner sent his son, and what did they do? They killed the vineyard owner's son. Well, in Mark 15, verse 20, it's almost like the fulfillment of that. I would say it is a fulfillment. Okay, they have mocked Jesus. They've hit Jesus. They've spat upon Jesus. They took off the purple robe, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to be crucified. It, it is literally happening. The, the murder of the vineyard owner's son really, isn't it? It really is. And again... Uh, Jesus, I, I know I've said this, and I keep on saying it, and I'll keep on saying it after this. Jesus is in control. He is the one that's driving this scenario. The, fair, the, the Pharisees, the high priests, they think they're doing it. Pilate is trying to, but Jesus is the one. He is the one that even said the words to the high priest to get him ready to go to Pilate to say, we want him dead. This is Jesus saying what he needs to say, when and doing what he needs to do. And so, Alex, this is the son, and I know everything, but he is the one that's giving himself. Uh, have you ever heard the word poured out and spilled? Uh, I yeah. heard, you know, really, Jesus' blood was not spilled. That's accidental. It was poured on purpose. So here, what Jesus is doing is completely in control. He is the one. They're doing it. They think they are. But no, Christ is the one that's driving the truck. He really is. Mm. Wow. Well, here is uh, another uh, significant part of the Scripture. Verse 21, they compelled Simon a Cyrenian who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha, the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he refused it. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments. By the way, uh, verse 24, uh, here's the most significant moment in world history. And it's just very matter-of-fact. When they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting upon them what every man should take. Uh, the, you know, they're gambling for the clothes of the Son of God when he would have freely wrapped them in righteousness. Isn't that something? Yes. Um, I mean, there are so many illustrations, and I don't mean to spiritualize this, but, you know, uh, people are still mocking 
and disregarding the Son of God. People are still essentially crucifying the Son of God. And here Christ is offering you heaven and the kingdom of God. They wanted the kingdom of earth. And, Bert, I've got to ask you this. Irrespective of the fact that Jesus did claim to be God, he claimed to be the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, and really based on Daniel seven thirteen and 14, which Christ attributed to himself, he was essentially saying, I am Jehovah with you. Well, if he had been willing to assemble masses of people to go to war with Rome and overthrow Rome, I tend to think the religious establishment, the scribes and Pharisees, they would have accepted him. They didn't care that he claimed to be God, although they they acted like they cared about blasphemy and theological purity. I think part of the reason he was rejected was they wanted to really, you know, fight and conquer Rome and rub Rome's face in a defeat. And because Christ was about being the Lamb of God, to pay for sin, and he wasn't here to go to war with Rome. That's a large part of why he was rejected. Am I on? You're right. right. They wanted control. Now, the reason they didn't like Jesus is yes, what you just said, but what Jesus, his kingdom, would not lead them to be in control, even with the Roman government being over them. The Roman government had given some power to them. And, and remember, they didn't like Jesus because the people heard him. He did the miracles. They were beginning to follow in Jesus, and they, they were losing their power. Again, two things you usually follow, and that is, one, the power, who wants to control, and the money. Those two things usually are implemented either together or separately to let you know uh, the intentions of these people, and them had losing control, but if Jesus had been that insurrectionist that would lead them to that, I think they would have. I agree. Alex, I want to yeah. go back one more time to verse 21. Okay. The fa- uh, Simon of Cyrene, what he, he bore the cross of Christ, and he had two sons, Alexander and Rufus. Now, the reason that Mark would bring their names up, no doubt, because Rufus is mentioned elsewhere, these two, if they had were not, they're no doubt became noted followers of Christ. And then uh, Mark would mention them saying, this Simon, man, he is the father of Alexander and Rufus, who was well known in the Christian community. And so... You know, I I could, this is the impact that Jesus has. He had it on Simeon, on Simon the Cyrene, but it also, those two sons, there's this song, Watch the Lamb, and uh, you can listen to that song. It's powerful. And so here we find out Rufus and Alexander, probably noted Christians uh, in that day. And so Mark, Mm -hmm. he does what Paul did quite a bit. Drop, uh, and I don't mean it in a negative way, it's a positive way. He would drop some names that people would recognize and influence. So I, I found that was really neat for uh, Mark to put their names there. Mm, well, that, that is powerful. That is powerful. Uh, and they cast lots for uh, Jesus's, as you know, the, the poem, One Solitary Life, the only property he had, you know, the, the garment. Uh, it was the third hour, and they crucified him. Okay, it's 9 a.m. in the morning. And the superscription of, the, of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, one on his right hand, one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which said he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you who destroyed the temple and build it in three days, Save yourself and come down from the cross. Hey, Bert, uh, one of the hardest things to do is to hold your tongue when you're in the right. You, you know? Yes. And and here they are mocking, blaspheming. Uh, you think you're going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Well, save yourself. Come down from the cross. Verse 31, likewise also the chief priests mocking. Yes. said among themselves with the scribes. He saved others, himself he cannot save. 
In verse 31, I think the chief priests are working the crowd. They're trying to sow the seeds of unbelief. You know, look at this. He saved others, but he can't save his own life. Um, I'm going to tell you something. This is about as undignified, besides the fact that it's blasphemous and, and sinful, but the chief priests who should have been, you know, a picture of composure, godliness, self-control, uh, they are showing their true colors, if ever. Uh, would you agree? I agree fully. They worked the crowd to creating crucified. They're working the crowd at the cross, mocking him. And you use the word undignified. I was reading that today, preparing for the, preparing for the show, and I want to just tell you, that's what hit me. Can you imagine these people in their religious garb, you know, supposedly set apart for for good, and here they are, evil in every way. And, and so, Alex, it was that. And if you want to find out more about this, uh, just read Psalm 22, Psalm 69, Psalm 109, and it will give you that picture of the suffering Jesus on the cross. It was, uh, this was... This was pre-written <laughs> before it happened. And uh, again, that is the word of God and why it's so good. And what it says about the future will happen, just like the future that was predicted from the Old Testament to the New Testament would happen. And here it is, Alex. Now, verse 32 says, Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Let me ask you that. Do you really believe that would have made a difference? No, no. I mean, <laughs> in in other words, um, they're they're saying let let him uh, nullify the work of salvation. Then we'll believe. Well, had he come down from the cross, there would really be nothing to believe in. That's exactly so right. It, it's it's like the people nowadays that, and you know, Bert, having I give God the glory, but I've I've been to do Q and A at you know, almost 200 American universities. And very often people will come up, you know, these kind of wise guy questions like, you know, could God make a rock so heavy even he couldn't lift it or something like that, which is a nonsensical question because what you're asking is, can God do what God can't do? You know, or people will say, well, God should have made free creatures who couldn't sin. Uh, That's a contradiction. But for Christ to come down from the cross, there would be no salvation and nothing to believe in. And and they were they reviled him. By the way, you know, Pilate had put on a on a placard in three languages, the King of the Jews, and they had said, This is in the other gospels, they said, Well, no, no, no. Say he said he was yeah. king of the Jews. Yeah. Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. You mean he I got mean, some courage all of a sudden? <laughs> maybe a little bit too too little too late. Yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, before we finish verse 33 and 34, here's the thing. Um, they wanted Rome overthrown. Well, I assure you, Rome will be overthrown. In fact, Rome was overthrown, and, uh, you know, uh, Rome fizzled out. They, they Rome never really was conquered by an army, but... Somewhere around 400 A.D., Rome kind of fizzled out. Uh, The kingdoms of this world will be vanquished. You know, Christ is coming back. And a big part of experiencing all of God's best is knowing to wait. Um, And I, I know we have a lot of young people listening. By the way, folks, we were just in Tennessee with Truth for a New Generation. And I want to tell you something that is just so heartwarming it's the number of teenagers that listen to Exploring the Word. <laughs> we were there in Tennessee, yeah. and, I mean, I had, like, teenagers saying, is Bert Harper here? And I'm like, yep, Bert's up on stage, but he's here. And, you know, let me just say this, folks. Um, to wait on God to keep yourself pure sexually till you're married to wait and not run ahead of God. And even in terms of history, um, you say, gee, this world is broken. Something ought to be done. Just wait. God's got this. God's going to do you. his work, isn't he? he and nothing's going to stop him. On his timetable. Exactly. Now, let me read this, 33 and 34. This is important. This is the only words that Mark records that Jesus said on the cross. 
when you look at all four Gospels, you will find out there were seven sayings. And matter of fact, if you want to listen to that, Alex and I did a program about that the good on Good Friday, the seven sayings of Jesus. So you can go back on the podcast and look at that on Good Friday, and you'll see that. And here it says, and when the sixth hour had come, so that's 12 noon, there was darkness okay. over the whole land under the ninth hour. That's 3 p.m. And the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've just got to make this comment. That's a direct quote from Psalm 22. And uh, so that, and by the way, Brent just let me know that if you want to go to Facebook, exploring the word Facebook, he's going to give that information concerning the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. Go ahead, Alex. Mm. Well, the ninth hour, he is uh, crying out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, now, Bert, sometimes older commentators would talk about the humiliation of Christ. You know, uh, he was rejected, mocked, beaten, nailed to the cross, and in this is part of the atonement. But the Father and the Son, in a mysterious, sacred way that we can't fully comprehend, the Father turned his back on the Son. Now, God didn't cease to be God because the essence, the nature of God, is indivisible. God can't be divided from himself. But in something that apparently was very necessary, uh, the Father and the Son were separated. Bert, I, I can't say I completely understand that. I can't but, either. Um, but Jesus the, did bear the cross alone. That's the whole idea. That song, that hymn expresses that. It doesn't give everything, but it had to be Jesus. Because you remember yeah. what he prayed in the garden? If there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. The Father was silent then, and he's silent now, Alex. You catch? Yeah. So, so in preparation, there was silence. And in the reality of it happening, there was that of him turn whatever that means. I don't know everything it means, but I do know it means Jesus bore that cross along. He was the supreme, perfect sacrifice for us. Forsaken. I know it means that. Yeah, the most alone, the most orphaned, the most forsaken any human ever was, the, the God-man, Jesus, bearing our cross, bearing our guilt so that we could be saved. That's how much he loves you. We'll be back. That phone call, if you want to ask a Bible question, 888-589-8840. Hi, I'm Kirby Anderson, president of Probe Ministries and host of the Point of View radio program. You've probably noticed that many young Christians leave the church after they graduate, but they don't have to graduate from God. That's why I want to invite your children and grandchildren to attend the Probe Mind Games Camp in Texas. We prepare them for college and their entry into a world that will challenge their faith. This one-week camp includes lectures, role play, along with some great fun. It will take place June 18 to the 24th. Go to probe.org for more information. Sandy Rios 24-7. It's not a morning show. It's an all-day show fueled by the wit and wisdom of Sandy Rios. If you have a smartphone, I think you should download the AFR app. Sandy Rios 24-7 is on the podcast page at AFR.net. I have, you know, so many listeners from the radio show who are now listening to the podcast. Sandy Rios 24-7. You live my prayers all the time. Sandy Rios 24-7 on the podcast page at AFR.net. Here's a story of both tragedy and hope. This is Bible League International and our campaign, Fan the Flame, Bibles for Asia. Lalitha was born in coastal India and raised a strict Hindu. When her husband died because of her abject poverty, the drug cartel forced her into human trafficking and she lived in utter hopelessness until a former prostitute, now a Christian, introduced her to Jesus. Filled with hope, Lalitha would learn to share her faith with others and lead 90 people to Christ before she died tragically of HIV AIDS. 
something that she was afflicted with during those years in human trafficking. They need Bibles in India and all across Asia. And that's why we have this campaign, Fan the Flame Bibles for Asia. $5 sends a Bible, $100 sends 20, $500 sends 100 Bibles. Would you pray about it? And then call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. Or give generously at sendbiblesnow.org. SendBiblesNow.org and God bless you for caring. Here's Bert Harper on the AFA Fishbowl Retreat 2023. We are so determined to come alongside the church and to support pastors who share Christ with others, but also stand in the gap for righteousness. And Fishbowl will encourage that pastor to be that kind of a man. Bert and his wife Jan are hosting again this year with speakers Jeff and Debbie Shreve from Real Truth for Today. Every difficulty that comes into your life and my life, it's a test of faith. The stormy sea where Jesus is asleep in the boat, that's a test of their faith, and they didn't do very well. And so most of the time when we ask that question why, God's response is, my child, just trust me. The AFA Fishbowl Retreat 2023, September 26th through the 28th at the Riverbend Retreat Center in beautiful Glen Rose, Texas. Register at repairingthefoundations.net repairingthefoundations.net or call 662-844-5036 extension 297 In Him, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will Ephesians 111 American Family Radio Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio Well, aren't you glad that Jesus does understand, and like that song says, He never stops loving us. Never. Do you know the Lord Jesus loves you right now? And uh, you might think that you've blown it and God has given up on you. He hasn't. The Lord loves you. And that's why every day we rejoice in the fact that uh, His mercies are new every morning, and the Lord is so faithful to us. My goodness, He certainly is. Well, we're going to go to questions. The number is 888-589-8840. And uh, Bert, isn't it a privilege that we get to talk with people all over America, take some Bible questions, do our best to give an answer? But I feel like every day we just make more and more friends throughout the entire USA. I believe we do. And tomorrow will be a fire away Friday, so we'll spend the whole time taking calls. And oh, right yeah. now, let me just tell you, our lines are full, so we need to get to as many as we can. So we're sure. going to go straight to Donna in Alabama. Hello? Well, Yes, Donna, go right ahead. Hey, um, thank you for taking my call, Bert and Alex. Uh, this past weekend, I toured the beautiful Metairie Cemetery in New Orleans, and uh, saw lots of statues, gorgeous, of weeping angels, crying angels. Uh, do y'all think angels weep? And I've read my Bible through, and I don't remember that, but I thought y'all might be able to tell me, do angels weep? Alex, I, I, I have not found it. We know they praise God, and we know a third of them rebelled. But anything about weeping that you can remember? Do you know, I don't know if they weep, and I've seen similar statues in, you know, cemeteries. I think they, if, if I read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 accurately, they look in amazement because it's talking about salvation, you know, and it says, which things the angels desire to look into. Isn't it something that a born-again child of God, in a way, has a, a richer, fuller experience than even the angels in the presence of God. Because, uh, you know, the uh, Bert, I think in shock and amazement, angels might wonder how we humans could ignore <laughs> so great a salvation. Amen. Uh, you read me? Yeah, I do. Great point, Alex. I know this. The angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that comes to Christ. And uh, people ask me, said, well, do you know what, do you think we'll know what's going on in heaven? I, well, I, I think I have an inquisitive mind. If I'm up there in heaven and the angels are rejoicing, 
I think I'm going to run over and find who was it? Who was it? You know? Now, oh, yeah. That, amen. So, but Donna, I, we can't say either way for sure, but in the Bible, we do not have that happening. Thank you for calling. Let's go to Louisiana, speaking of New Orleans, but anyway, Lacey from Louisiana. Welcome, Lacey. Hey, how are y'all? Doing great. Good. Um, I have a question um, about the missing books of the Bible. Some people say that there's more books that man, um, over time, they've like hidden those books. And then um, your thoughts on purgatory. I don't think that's in the Bible, but Catholics believe in purgatory. So anyways, I just wanted to see what y'all thought about those. Let me just say one thing, Lacey. Thank you for calling. First time caller I see. Thank you for listening. Uh, It is not mentioned in the Bible. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about uh, the rich man. Uh, He died, and in hell he lifted up his eyes in torment immediately. There wasn't a place to go while they were waiting to either way, to go one way or the other. And it said that Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom straightway. So uh, that knocks out the idea of purgatory. And if you read about the history of purgatory, Alex, um, I I don't want to go into all the negativity about it, but it was really abused and used to raise some money way back in the uh, Middle Ages for for building things in the cathedrals and such. But go ahead, Alex. Yeah, um, great question. You know, quite literally, we could do two shows on this twofold question about the books of the Bible, canonicity. Uh, let, let me say uh, briefly about that. The canon that you have, the Old Testament canon of 39 books, Genesis through Malachi, then the New Testament canon of 27 books, Matthew through Revelation. Bert, I believe there's compelling historical proof that the books we have are the books that the Holy Spirit gave. And um, of some of the the books that came about 200 years after the life of Christ, they were never uh, never affirmed by the early church as part of the, the New Testament canon. And so really, um, every now and then there'll be like these books that come out. They, I'll just tell you, and this, this should explain everything, this, the lost books of the Bible, quote-unquote. You know where they used to sell that? It was in the National Enquirer. Seriously. <laughs> that that says well it all. It does. It, back in the 1980s, the ads for the lost books of the Bible, were they were marketed initially. This is before the Internet in the National Enquirer. That ought to tell you about all you need to know. But about purgatory, here's, here's those that believe in purgatory. They use 1 Corinthians 3.15, which says... If a man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through flames. Now, what that's talking about is the judgment seat of Christ, our works, gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. Um, But it wasn't until the Reformation era, the idea of purgation, purging, getting us cleaned up and ready for heaven, and, and largely the doctrine of purgatory was set forth by the Catholic Church at that time to to oppose Luther. Uh, But Bert, uh, I believe the salvation we have in Jesus is more than sufficient to to clothe us in righteousness, wash away our guilt, and get us ready to enter the presence of God. I mean, I believe when he said it is finished, it is finished, and we don't need to add to it. Great. Thank you, Lacey. Let's go to Arkansas. Rob, welcome. Rob, hey, you guys. yeah, go How right ahead. Doing? Yes. I hope you can hear me. Yes, you're on. Go so, right ahead. I, okay, so I'm in the book of Moses right now, and I'm I'm just where where he's he hasn't been to the place where he's part of the Red Sea yet. But my question to you guys is 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 I was listening very closely in Genesis about the 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 story of Noah, and I was quite amazed that he died at 900 years. As we go through the Bible in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the age seems to diminish the purpose so okay. long yeah. so that they could do their do their duties on earth. Rob, thank you. Broke up, but we think we got it. Listen, the flood changed 
a lot of earth. That's it. Yes. There seemed to be, I, let me call it, I, the way I heard it, a greenhouse effect so that yeah. healing would take place quicker. Uh, you know, the, the diminishing uh, sun rays that do harm were filtered out and man would live longer. But after the flood, it started diminishing quickly, didn't it, Alex? It really did, um, and Bert's exactly right. Now, you know, prior to the flood of Noah, there was all of this vapor canopy up in space that filtered out a lot of the UV rays, and uh, much of the water from the flood of Noah came from above. And um, scholars, if you read in commentaries, they talk about, quote, the long ages of the patriarchs. And you're right, after the flood, it, this really changed the atmosphere, it changed the weather patterns, changed the axis of the earth. The earth is at a 23-degree tilt right now, but you see the ages diminish rapidly after the flood, such that uh, now nobody lives past 120, do they, Bert? They do not. I, matter of fact, I was looking at something earlier today and talking about a man that lived to be a 123. But one of my favorite stories, I had a good friend that was celebrating his aunt's 100th birthday. And yeah. he told her, I think her name was Betsy and said, Aunt Betsy, I hope the Lord gives you 100 more. She's a Christian. Uh, and, and she said, oh, don't wish that on me. <laughs> she uh, was ready. Well, yeah. yeah, she was ready for heaven. And so Amen. make sure you're ready for heaven. If you're not ready for heaven and you've never been saved, try it. Triple eight, need him. Triple eight, need him, and that'll help. Next, let's go to Kentucky and talk to Steve. Steve, welcome. Hey, is this Bert? Yes, and Alex, yes, it's us. Go right ahead. Alex, Bert and Alex, you guys, I love you guys. Well, oh, um, I grew up, we thank the Lord for you. Jewish. Oh, wow. Yeah, I grew up Jewish, and I believe that Jesus, Yeshua, is the Messiah. And he came Amen. the first time. And was crucified. I'm still waiting for him to come the second time. <laughs> Amen. When he stood when he when Jesus Yeshua stood before Caiaphas, the high priest, and Caiaphas accused Jesus of blasphemy. Look in Leviticus where it says the high priest is not to tear his clothes. It is blasphemy. <laughs> wow. They, they didn't read that part, Steve. Uh, they only, this, this is what they did. And Alex, I want you to make it plainer than I do, but talking to some Jewish rabbis and they was talking about like Psalms 22, Isaiah with the suffering servants. They said, what do you do with them? And they said, we ignore it. Guess what? Yeah. They did it back then as well. Didn't they? They ignored certain <laughs> things. God bless you. Well, you know what? I've told the story. I was flying to Edmonton, Canada, and I was on the airplane beside a young man who was in, in rabbinical school. And I mean, he was decked out in all the gear. But during the course of the airplane flight from Minneapolis to Edmonton, I shared the gospel. Now, while I was doing this, he was with an ink pen. I know this is bizarre. This rabbinical student was drawing on his wrist. And, uh, I, I said, uh, if you stood before God and God said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? He said, because I've kept the law. And I said, all of it? He said, yeah, yeah, I've kept it all. I said, what about Leviticus 19.28? He said, what's that? I said, it says, don't make a mark on your body. And he was drawing on his wrist with an ink pen, and he looked at me kind of like, ugh. You know, he made this face. And you know what he said? Rabbinical sin. And I quote, he said, I guess I'm hoping God will be cool with it. Oh, man. And I said, well, when it comes to breaking God's law, no, God isn't cool yeah. with it. Amen. But you can trust Jesus who paid it all, and all of our sin is forgiven. Amen. But, uh, uh, you know, Bert, the plan of salvation is perfect, isn't it? It is, and it's Christ and Christ alone through faith alone. Listen, it's not of works lest any man should boast. But after we're saved, we are his workmanship created unto good works. It is amazing. It is. When John Newton wrote that song, uh, it is amazing grace. Let's go to Louisiana and talk to Mitch, another first-time caller. Welcome, Mitch. Good afternoon, uh, Bert and Alex. I've uh, been listening to you guys for a couple of years now, first-time caller. Thanks for everything you do. Um, my question is, I have some videos that, that pop up on YouTube, Christian videos, and uh, one of them was about three days of darkness in the end times. 
And I was wondering if you could reference that in the Bible, or is that just a Catholic thing? I was curious. Thank you, Mitch. Three days of darkness in the end times. Alex, uh, is that familiar? Um, in, yeah, in the tribulation, because you know what? A lot of the tribulation is going to be a lot like the plagues of Egypt. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, but is it three years? I was trying to remember. Is that the timing of it? I, I, um, I, I'm trying to remember for sure. You know, um, in Matthew 24, verse 29, Jesus talks about during those days, there'll be, in, in a way, it's it's funny, like the second half of the tribulation is, is the great tribulation. But in Matthew... Um, uh, Jesus says that uh, the the period is going to be, the sun is going to be darkened, uh, and there will be, uh, Matthew twenty four twenty nine. immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Um, I'm not sure where it says three days, but it does talk about a darkness Right. So dark in Revelation six twelve that people can feel it. I mean, it's like a, a terrifying darkness, and um, you know, yeah. I mean, there's going to be the elements shaken, earthquakes, burn. I mean, what paradox? Burning heat from the sun to cause boils on men's skin, and then a darkness that terrifies people, and yet they still won't repent. Yeah. Amen. Thank you so much, Steve. Let's go to Alabama one more time and talk to Ivan, another first-time caller. Welcome, Ivan. Uh, thank you, Bert. Uh, I um, just want to say I really enjoy the show, and and I listen to it every opportunity I get. And I had my question was in relation to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's before he's going to the cross, and I've heard different teaching. Uh, anyways, uh, when he he said that uh, if it be possible, take this cup from him. I heard some say that Jesus was uh, it was his human side. He didn't want to go through the suffering that men was going to bring on him. But and I believe that it's it was more or less being separated from the Father. He knew that's oh, what's wow. going to happen. Okay, uh-huh. Ivan. Thank you, Alex. Yeah. Comment on that, mm-hmm. Ivan. I'm, uh, I hope I know yeah. I'm cutting you off, but got a minute left. Go ahead, Alex, real quickly. Yeah, in the Garden of Gethsemane, I mean, you know, Jesus was unified. He was of, of one mind. But yet, uh, he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. That's the word psyche. I think he was thinking about all these things that he was going to go through. And it, it was, frankly, overwhelming from a human perspective, wasn't it? It was. And that separation from God, that had never happened. He always said, Father. But on the cross, he did say, my God, my God. That was different than anything he'd ever said. So I think, uh, Ivan, uh, there's some, I think it's everything, but that's part of it, the separation. Uh, Alex, tomorrow's Fire Away Friday. We're going to get to take a lot of questions, right? All questions for the whole hour tomorrow, Fire Away Friday. And listen, I'll be back an hour from now subbing on the Hamilton Corner. So um, if you want to stay tuned in, I'd be grateful. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Pray for America and stand strong for God's truth. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.